All right, what is going on, guys? It is time for another episode of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. And, well, we are back. It is countdown to the Baja 1000 coming up. Green flag drops November 16th. And we are looking forward to that one. 1,300 miles of fun. And it is going to be in a northern direction. So mixing it up, you guys heard the previous episodes, talked a little bit about it and what is coming. So I'm excited. What are we going to get to see? I think we're going to get uh, I think we're going to get some pretty good racing. I am looking forward to it. It is going to be an interesting one, though. If these guys are leaving, let me see the uh, the sequence of events here. These guys are going to be leaving Thursday morning, bright and early on the 16th. It says with the first bike score media center opening at 12 a.m. 1 a.m. That is 1 a.m. for the bikes. And if you guys heard the previous episode, Mark Samuels, these guys are predicting an 18-hour finish. That means they will be done on Friday. Late Friday? Thursday, 1 a.m. Friday, 1 a.m. Plus six hours. Yeah. Friday morning. Friday morning in Ensenada, just in time for breakfast. But... Speaking of which and what we have got going on today, we're going to be talking to none other than Giovanni Spinali. I think I hopefully I didn't butcher that too bad. Talking a little bit about the number they adorn and their mission for the Baja 1000 in 2023. Asking questions about that. So what has been going on? A lot of stuff happening. Have you guys already signed up for the... Uh, for the newsletter huh? do i need to remind you have you gone over to the chasing waypoints website signed up for that one a lot of cool stuff coming on that working to make it even better for you guys first edition is not out yet predicting first edition coming out in january so if you haven't signed up you definitely want to trying to do something big for that first one work with some of our vendors in the rally industry and abroad in the moto industry man we got a lot of going on just because it's rally doesn't mean it is rally only. So looking forward to doing that. Turn down the party here a little bit. A couple minutes, we'll give uh, Giovanni a call here. So definitely want to talk to him. He's been in the community, very active in the Promoto Baja Facebook group. So we got a lot, a lot to share, I'm sure. Let's see, what do we got going on here? I see, totally stalking his Facebook page. He doesn't know we're doing this yet. We're, I'd like it to it with all of our guests. No real, uh, no show prep, really. And this is actually my first time talking to him, so we're all going to find out a little bit more about his racing past and all of the stuff that he's been up to and doing. He's got a hell of a team for the Baja 1000, so we'll talk a little bit more about that. We'll talk about the number 500X. For those of you that are not familiar with the numbering in the Score International Series, it's very, very simple. Uh, your 100s, 200, 3, 4, 500, the 500 number, and in this case, X or X-Ray, uh, means you're on a moto. But that is reserved for the class champion of that particular racing uh, class. So, uh, 1600, 1600 for the 1600 class. Uh, they do have grandfathered numbers, but I believe everybody generally likes to take the, uh, you know... A little bit of the bragging rights when they see that, uh, oh, look, it's that number. That means this guy was the fastest last year. So 
looking forward to that one as we've got some stuff going on uh coming in hot and i was just down at baja adventure garage they are going to have their first annual rally uh coming up this uh december right at the beginning of december let me pull up the details really quick for you guys so we got an a uh, got an idea of what it is about it is basically a two-day rally event uh not in the roadbook sense this is actually going to be a motorcycle rally a little bit similar to the ktm adventure rally uh and a little bit similar to the geico adventure rally that's currently happening right now in san diego uh out in julian so this is going to be very similar to that uh definitely looking forward to it we are going to be there is december 7th through 10th it is the first weekend of december roughly i believe I should have checked before I said that. But yeah, December 7, 8, 9, and 10. It is two days of riding. Uh, There's going to be a a road course, and then there's going to be a dual sport course. So uh, looking forward forward to that. More details to come if you haven't already checked it out. Uh, It's Baja Adventure Garage. If you follow them on Instagram, that will definitely be cool. There is a group that is forming on WhatsApp. uh, For those that are interested, uh, reach out to me directly if you want to be part of that or if you want to talk a little bit more about it, find out some of the more details. Next Thursday at the Baja Adventure Garage at 7 p.m. is going to be the uh, first meeting, get the questions out of the way, get all of that stuff. I myself will be in attendance uh, and we'll be there uh, speaking with Marco, who is heading this up. So definitely looking forward to that one coming up again, December 7th through 10th. Uh, starting out of Baja Adventure Garage, that is Kilometer Zero Highway 1 at the top of the Baja Peninsula, right on the border uh, in Playas de Tijuana. So definitely look forward to checking that out. But with that being said, let's get Giovanni on the phone. Hello? There he is, Giovanni. Yes. Hey, what's up, man? It's Victor. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Man, doing all right, man. Getting uh, getting excited. There's this little race coming up. I don't know if you heard about it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's getting close. I think everybody's getting all hyped up on it. I know, right? Uh, a long one though. Thirteen hundred. Is that a little more than normal? Uh, yeah. Usually, when it goes to the tip, it's anywhere between eleven hundred and. 1200 i think this one's like 1311 so yeah it's it's a long one yeah which is you think well it's only 100 more miles uh-huh <laughs> yeah well 100 more on top of 1200 is a lot right <laughs> yeah exactly the uh so are you guys ready i mean have you been going down pre-running and been doing all of that uh yeah i mean we're not totally ready we still have a little bit of time to the race but i uh, was in san felipe last weekend pre-running with my uh teammate robbie Naughton, and that went really well so knocked that out of the way we were testing our race bike uh yesterday and last night did lights tested lights down in uh Ocotillo. ah plaster city east, east yeah plaster city so we were there last night late testing getting all that dialed in so yeah little by little we'll be ready nice very nice. Uh, what's the light of choice? What are you guys running? Uh, Baja Designs. Yeah, we got the uh, the new dual light setup. It's about, I think it's like a pound lighter than our than our setup we had last year, and it's brighter. So, really nice setup. Nice. What uh, is that? The modified machine works, or is that which which uh, which lighting server is that one you guys made? Um, are you talking about the, 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 the mounting process yeah, or the, the lights themselves? The mounting process. No, we use the same mount as we had before. I think it's just the Baja Designs mount. 
oh, okay. um, just slides in with some with some clips. Yeah, nice. and we also have the regular Baja Design single light that will run during the day, and then we'll we'll have the uh, the dual light set up. Well, most of the races at night. I think 17, 18 hours of this race is going to be at night. So, yeah, it's we need good lights. That's for sure. Yeah, I saw that. You guys got a, a 1 a.m. Uh, what is it? A midnight call time for uh, on Thursday for staging and then a 1 a.m. for the first bike. Yeah, I don't know why they do that to the to the bikes, but it makes for a long 30 plus hours of of uh, racing. That's for sure. When it starts at 1 a.m. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can imagine the whole that whole first part, uh, which, which I think will be nice. Um have you guys done any of the the rest of the team? Has anybody done the start and down that southern section already, or are you guys saving that still? No, not yet. Um, we're going to be most everybody on the team is probably going to head down uh, early next week mm-hmm. and get down and pre-run their section two or three times and be ready to go. But now they haven't gone that far south yet. Got it. Yeah, I think that's. Th- that one's going to be interesting because I feel like the terrain down there is usually pretty flat out, not as not as beat up as it is up here in the northern section. Yeah, definitely. I think anything south of San Ignacio is kind of a different Baja. It's not not as many people. Uh, a lot of the sections aren't like near a lot of towns, so it's not like people are in and out, in and out all the time. So yeah, it's definitely I think better terrain. But then again, with the storm uh, that just happened, I hear there's a lot of washouts and it exposed a lot of rocks and different things. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah, that is a that is a good point. And the washouts generally aren't smoothed over, so it's I'm sure it's hell on the bars and uh, and as far as the surprises go. Yeah, that's why pre running is going to be super important to make sure you know where the danger spots are and and yeah, just be aware of what your section entails so yeah the is going to be super important after that storm yeah and coming up i mean what uh the 16th not not a whole lot of time but i guess it's kind of nice that i don't see that there was any kind of weather coming in no i think the weather's going to be good from here on out and it's it's kind of crazy it's on you know it's on the 16th but in reality it's really wednesday night right because it starts you know midnight oh, yeah. wednesday night is when you got to go stage so yeah it's 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 right around the corner yeah very nice. And uh, so you guys are on, uh, are you doing, I think you've, you've raced Yamaha. No, that's, that's been your bike. Um, well, it has been for the last probably four or five years. We started on Hondas. Mm-hmm. Actually, Honda helped us out, sponsored us when we first started in 2012 because our team here were racing was established then. And we had the, um, the only team that's ever started or finished the Baja 1000, all the riders were, um, they had prosthetics either on their leg or their arm or, or whatever it was. We were sponsored by a company called ability dynamics. And so we, we had the honor of giving away prosthetics to injured warriors and just anybody who we thought, you know, really needed it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in 2012, we had a, a team of, I think three or four, uh, guys who did the peninsula run all the way down and they all like one of them had, you know, below the knee 
prosthetic. We had a special shifter on the bike. So Honda backed us up that year and gave us three bikes and we had three teams running and we've been uh, doing it ever since. Nice. Mm-hmm. Very nice. And so that's, uh, so Honda backed and what, uh, I'm, I'm always curious about this is the right. Everybody's, uh, the Austrian brands, right. I guess I, I don't want to say dominate Baja. I feel like that's only more recently because they had the history of Honda that they had to deal with, with the XR 650R and which I still think some of them line up, but what, have you noticed any of the differences like between the Yamaha suspension and the Honda, the frame, the chassis, just the bike in general? Uh, I would say two of the biggest advantages of the Yamaha, mm-hmm. I'd say three actually. Yamaha to me is actually like the new Hondas in a way, because the old Hondas were so dependable. They never broke. And that's kind of how the Yamahas are. They're super dependable. They come with great suspension stock. And then we have suspension 101 who dials in our suspension and it's just unreal once we get, you know, get, get in that race speeds. Um, but the other thing is uh, their air box on the Yamahas is super high. Mm-hmm. Um, they have that reverse engine. So the air box is like right behind the handlebars up high okay. instead of below the seat, like every other bike. Mm-hmm. And when you get into those silty situations where you're knee deep in silt and it's just, your bike's just, you know, you're on the throttle and it's just sucking for air, but it's sucking in all that dirt. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of the other brands, including Husky and KTM have had engine failures because they're sucking so much dirt. And then pretty soon the motor locks up. So I think the Yamaha has a huge advantage in Baja because of where their air cleaner is located. So that's, you know, I think that's definitely an advantage for us. We've never had any Yamaha's fail yeah. at all in Baja. So, and it, you know, and it's interesting because it, it, I feel like it's the, I mean, I want to say it's like the underdog because not a lot of people, I mean, there are some that line up and I'm sure that number's grown, but it's never, I don't think outnumbered the Hondas or the, you know, the KTM Husqvarna gas, gas conglomerate. Uh, I don't think so. Well, Back in the day, you know, Honda and Kawasaki were, I think, the two, and, and Husky, you know, were the two or three manufacturers that really got behind Baja on a factory level. Mm-hmm. And then uh, KTM with Caselli joined in. And so that's when the Austrian brands kind of kind of came into play. But now, uh, I think it's more privateer, you know, backed. I don't think there's any factory backing except for the Honda team at the thousand they'll back the Samuels team, but just for that one, this one race coming up, they don't do the whole series. And, uh, I think Andy Kirker is doing a really good job trying to get the factories involved again. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's raised some money, which is really cool. He put a purse together, I think 20,000 for the unlimited pro class. So little by little, I think hopefully the factories will come back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be really good to see. Cause I mean, I grew up in Baja, but it was on the five sixteen hundred side. First of all, it's professional spectators, which I think most people start that way nowadays anyway. Uh-huh. And you know, it was always the bike guys, you know, it was like, it's almost like the class 11 guys as well. It was just one of those things. Like you saw them walking around and you wondered how they even sat on the bike with the balls. I mean, to, to be able to go out and just tackle this, 
<clears throat> obviously it's turned into the trophy truck show now. At least that's how I right. feel. Um, but it's awesome to see that. Yeah. Trying to get factories back, get, uh, the racing down there. I mean, we know that the, like the Dakar rally and those that sells bikes, but that sells bikes that are not obtainable, you know? So I think that I agree. It would be nice to see some of the more, some more factory stuff back. Um, yeah. I think, uh, as far as a bike's concerned, I mean, I grew up racing motocross and different things since I was a kid, but you can't get any more bang for your buck than just going down to the dealer, buying a dirt bike, you know, they're, you know, for whatever, seven, eight grand, nine grand. Mm -hmm. And you could literally take a stock dirt, you know, brand new dirt bike, put some mooses in it and, you know, so you don't get any flats, Mm -hmm. throw some lights on it and, and literally race the Baja 1000. I mean, there's no other, I mean, I guess you could do it with a side by side, but you're not spending seven, eight grand on a side by side. You're spending thirty, forty thousand on a side by side. So, and that would be stock. So, yeah, bang and for I, your buck. You can't get any better than on a bike. But then on the on the flip side, you know, they're the most dangerous. I think for sure because you don't have a cage around you, and you know, you crash, you crash. So, yeah. I think it's definitely one of those. Uh, yeah, more. Like you said, more dangerous, uh, even a UTV. I mean, you still right off the bat, you got to throw nets at it, a a stronger cage. And if anybody listening to this says, no, you don't, um, they've never been in a UTV and, and, and seen what happens when they crash at speed, even with their, their current stock roll cages. Um, you're going to need taller tires. You're going to need skid plates. You're going to need, and I feel like on a bike, like you said, what mooses, a desert tank. Yeah. A desert tank and some lights and you're good to go. I mean, it's always good to do your suspension because mm-hmm. that saves you so much energy and, and everything during the race. But in reality, you could, you could race a stock bike, especially yeah. in the smaller races, like a two fifty or a 500, you don't even need lights, mm-hmm. you know, you just, 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 just race it. Yeah. And be done with it. So something that's interesting though, like you mentioned that, uh, uh, there's two things is one, the Yamaha having the tank or the, uh, the air filter up higher uh, yeah. and needing to run a bigger tank. What have you guys found for a solution on that? Cause when I previously I had looked at the Yamaha's a long time ago, but it was like, it seemed like the tanks that were out there really didn't add anything to it. Uh, they don't add a lot of capacity, mm-hmm. um, but they do locate the fuel in a, in a better lower position. So that the bikes handle better, but yeah, I think we're running an IMS tank. Um, I think it's like 3.2 gallons. And in reality, you don't need that big of a tank when you're racing in Baja because Baja pits who we use, Mm -hmm. um, offers a great service. They, they pretty much set up pits every 40 to 50 miles all the way down, um, throughout the whole course. So really you don't need that big of a tank. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I would say, you could probably get away with running a stock tank. I mean, we don't obviously, cause we don't want to take that chance, but mm-hmm. I think that you could. Um, but, uh, yeah, IMS is who we use for our fuel tanks. We've used them on our Hondas, use them on our Yamahas. They have great tanks. Nice. Yeah. I think, uh, well, I just, actually, I just came across the picture of you guys uh, of the bike. I think it was when you guys are down in, uh, that looks like plaster city East. Yeah, this recent, it's probably before we have our numbers and graphics and everything on the bike. We were just down there testing suspension and lights. So, yeah, that was just last week. Nice. Yeah, that does. And I like I like how when they designed the tank and it actually, like, fits the body style. 
you know, it doesn't, it doesn't grow the bike too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the tanks are pretty big and obnoxious really, but Mm -hmm. that's only when you are really adding a lot of fuel, you know, some of those tanks that guys use, you know, can go up to like five gallons and then they're just like, so it's just like a, almost like an adventure bike tank. They're too big, but that's probably a perfect size, 3.2 gallons. You know, you can go pre-running with that tank. You could probably go 80 miles, 75, 80 miles, which is a long way considering, you know, you're on a dirt bike. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely. And then that's the, I guess that's the thing is, is at speed. That was a lesson I learned a long time ago. There's a difference between, you know, trail riding with 3.2 gallons and racing with 3.2 gallons. Yeah. You probably could get 30 to 35 miles per gallon if you're just cruising, Mm -hmm. but at race speed, you're probably closer to 24, 25 miles per gallon. If you're on the gas. Yeah. That's well, it's crazy how much that uh, difference that makes. And which makes me wonder if now with the newer bikes that are, they're trying to implement like versions of traction control and things like that on it, whether or not that would actually be beneficial like is it worth well, the, the, the fuel injection helps so much yeah. i mean the carbureted bikes use way more fuel um two strokes use way more fuel mm-hmm. so going to the four strokes and going to the fuel injection definitely made the bikes a lot more efficient yeah and and uh what was interesting that you said too uh this was a question i had had a long time ago with another um, guy that i know that does suspension was if you had the money, right, money was no object, which is the bike that you would go to the dealership and be like that one? Because with springs and some valving and you're done, right? You don't need to, like the older KTMs, like I have a, a 16 FE 501. Everybody I talked to instantly said, and do you still have the four CS forks on that? Because if you do, you need to get rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> now. That's, is that the air fork? No. Well, no, not their air fork. It was this previous design that was a four chamber type okay, deal. yeah yeah it, it just yeah. the problem with it i guess is that no matter how much you tried it would build pack almost instantly like no matter how soft you made it it just instantly would try and get hard you know the curve mm-hmm. on it but yeah i've heard you know that the the air suspension was a little better for that and then now i think they've gone back to like their closed chamber stuff but that was the whole thing is like all you, you need to change all of these things to the suspension and do all of these things um for they tried to save weight is what they did. Everybody's trying to save weight, especially KTM and, and Husky. And they went to and shoot all of them almost except Yamaha stayed with the spring. Mm-hmm. And um, all the other manufacturers, I believe, went at one point or another, went to the air fork. Mm-hmm. And they just weren't nearly as good. They were lighter, but they weren't as good. And, and Yamaha just kept refining and refining and refining their spring fork. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really good. Even, you know, like I have a Husky 300 that I ride in single track stuff. And first thing I did was bring it to the suspension one-on-one and had them convert it to a spring because it's just, it's just way better. I mean, it's plush in the small stuff and it absorbs the big stuff. It's just, just way better system. They tried to improve it, but unfortunately it didn't, didn't go too well. So the spring is the way to go for sure. Yeah. Which is, a, I mean, and, and that's an interesting point, you know, the, the weight thing, uh, how everybody tries. Uh, this was actually a recent conversation we had down at Baja Rally where they were talking about, you know, the 
uh, the differences between the Austrian bikes being lighter and trying to be faster, but it seemed like everything they would try and deflect off of. But he says, then you get on like a Honda. That was the conversation there. You get on a Honda and it just eats everything up and it's heavier. So it's yeah. kind of like that. It's, it, I guess it's that balance, right? Where, uh, the lesser of two evils, you know, yeah, weight and yeah, the bike's heavier, but I guess if you know how to ride yeah. it, like, well, the, it seems like to your point, the Yamaha is a little heavier, but it has a very planted feel. Mm-hmm. It's planted. You hit bumps and it stays on the ground. Whereas I think like the KTM, even on a motocross track, it feels a little bit more like a mountain bike with a motor in it. So you, you kind of like feel every little thing because it's so much lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally like the Yamahas and that's why we ride them and a motocross and in Baja and they just have a great planted feel to them, which builds confidence. You know, if you feel good on the bike, you're going to want to go be able to go faster, more comfortably. And, uh, if you, you know, if it's a little bit more sketchy because the suspensions air suspension with a lighter bike and it's just a little bit more twitchy, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be as comfortable and you're not going to go as fast. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting, uh, you know, I hadn't thought about it until you're talking about it now. I had gone riding with, uh, with gnarly Dave. I don't know if you're familiar with Dave, uh, Menriquez, uh, with the Honda guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and he told me, he's all, you ride your, your 790 better than you do your 501. And it really didn't think until now. I was like, well, yeah, well, the 790 is like straight up, you know, 150 pounds heavier than the, <laughs> than the 501. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that, you know, yeah, that is an interesting point. I had it. You don't really think about it because you don't notice it. You're more worried about like, damn, I got to lug this heavy ass bike around here. <laughs> well, most, most bikes, to be honest, even if there's, let's just say the Yamaha's 10 pounds heavier than the KTM. Mm-hmm. When you're riding it, you don't really feel it because they, 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 they put the weight down low enough where it's kind of feels neutral. Mm-hmm. So even though it is say 10 pounds heavier, you're not really, once you're on the bike and riding it, you're not feeling it. Maybe when you lift it up onto the stand or loading it up, whatever, you might feel the weight, but when you're actually riding it, you don't feel it. I don't, I don't think it's only, uh, it's only 400 pounds at zero miles an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't think they're that much. I think they're more like two, Oh yeah. 20, something like that. Yeah. But, um, I had a Yamaha Tenere Mm -hmm. that I decided to race in the Nora 1000. (laughs) <laughs> and, um, I just figured, you know, Nora's a lot smoother than the score races and see how I could do. And so I took that bike all the way down and I took off as much weight as I possibly could. Cause they're like 440 pounds stock. Mm-hmm. And I took off the ABS. I took, I changed the exhaust. I changed, you know, I had the suspension done. I took every, anything that I could take off. I took one of the rotors off the front wheel cause it's dual rotors in the front. I just, stripped it down as much as I possibly could. And I got it down to 400 pounds. But nice. let me tell you, that is still a, a, it's a monster in the dirt. Yeah, It's just, it's just, you don't want to hit anything rough. I found out that that way, the hard way I came into a really rough, fast, uh, whoop section coming out of San Ignacio. And I just, the suspension just couldn't handle it. And it just swapped out and flung me. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was the end of my race. It was, yeah, it was so, so weight obviously does matter, but as far as the motocross bikes, they're all, they're all pretty good nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. You could almost, well, you can't ride them blindfolded, but it seems like that's the, 
if you could, that was what you would figure out that they're all they're all pretty similar. I guess though the front suspension though d- translates directly to the handlebars though. Yeah, so yeah, definitely the like I said, the Yamaha I think out of the box comes comes uh, with the best suspension. That's the closest. The uh, so that's a that's a good one. Let's go back. Uh, you guys are running the 500x number. Yep. For this yeah, one, yeah, 500x. Um, What's the class and why that number? Okay, so in score, any of the uh, if you win the championship, you run the, like for this is the 50 pro class. So we're the 500x. For example, the 40 pro class champions would run 400x. The 30 pro ch- champions would run 300x. So yeah, so we're we won the championship last year. Um, and so we're running 500 X this year. I had an injury at the thousand last year, so we actually didn't run any of the races this season. Just the thousand is what was the one that we're going to race. Go out and do nice. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, you know, and it's a little bit different one. So that'll be nice to do it. Yeah. I mean, the way it's, it's working, the, the, the good thing about, going from i think from la paz to ensenada rather than from ensenada to la paz Mm -hmm. is normally we have like a six rider team when it's a peninsula run so it's like the guy who starts may do like 200 miles say Mm -hmm. coming out of ensenada normally and then he'll just peel off and go home because he's not going to follow the race all the way to la paz and then drive all the way back right and the second guy probably does the same thing he does from mile say 200 to 450 or something and then he goes home Mm -hmm. and so this way starting in la paz the guy who starts the race is going to do the first 200 miles Mm -hmm. and then he's going to follow the race all the way back to ensenada right because we're all going home at that point so we have a lot more chase coverage plus you know you get to you know hang out with your teammates and chase guys and it's just i think it's a lot a lot better uh way to do it i'm surprised this is the first time that scores ever done it but i'm glad they did yeah and that yeah that kind of feels like a, you know you're you're racing home so yeah. yeah not a long road you know once everything is done there's not people trying to catch flights out of la paz to to get right back. you don't have to get all your equipment home trucks back trailers vans everything you're already you're already pretty close to home and hopefully it'll be a good party in ensenada yeah. at the end oh yeah so what do you guys, what do you guys, I had the earliest numbers I've seen, I think it was Mark Samuels that said that they're, they're talking like 18 and a half hours. I feel no, like that's a bit short. No, I think from what I read, it was 20, a little over 25 hours. Oh, okay. Cause it, cause I think they, they're going to start at 1am, right. And then they're going to finish at 2am the following day. So that, I think that's 20, yeah, 25, six, hours. 25, 25, 25 hours. So, but even that. I think that's like a 52 or three, uh, 53 mile per hour average, which is definitely doable. But um, so much of this race is at night. I think it might be a little bit slower than that, but you, you never know. I think our estimated time is 10 a.m. We're planning on as long as we don't obviously have any issues as far as bike issues or crashes or any mistakes. And we have a solid race. I think 10 a.m. is going to be our target to finish in Ensenada. Okay. On, uh, on Saturday, Friday, Friday, Friday morning. Yeah. Cause it starts oh, yeah, that's it. Thursday at one. So yeah. Friday at 10 AM should hopefully roll into roll into Ensenada. It sounds like just Everything in time for good. just in time for brunch. 
which is good. Um, we're probably going to head straight to Who songs and celebrate, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> it's all That's about efficiency. <laughs> exactly. Do we know? Uh, do we know where it's finishing? Is it going to be like? Uh, I, I haven't seen the the detailed map yet. Is it in town or is it going to be like at a sterile beach or something like that? No, it's I'm I, I'm almost ninety percent sure it's going to be right where they normally start the race, which is right there in front of the governor's building, right there on. Oh, okay, and the main boulevard. The main, the main boulevard, right there. Yeah, and I heard it's going to start. Normally, it finishes kind of out of town in La Paz, but I guess this year, since it's starting in La Paz, they're going to start it right there on the Malacan, which is cool. Nice, nice. So that'll be a. Yeah, this is going to be. A, I think this is going to be a good adventure. It'd be nice to see, which is interesting too. I think the idea of it being backwards, right? All the fast stuff, usually from what I remember, it was all the gnarly stuff, right? Up top, tired, cars beat up, and now you've got to deal with a beat up car or, you know, hopefully not too beat up, but the rest of the the way down, mm-hmm. which will be interesting this way, you know, heading back. Everybody's going to be fresh, maybe longer stints because it's not as rough to clear some right. ground. Uh, but and, then three quarters of the way in, or maybe even 80% in, then you got to deal with <clears throat> San Felipe, which is probably the roughest part of the course. So that's going to be, especially for like the Ironman, mm-hmm. they're going to, they're already going to have a thousand miles under their belt if they make it that far. And then they got to go through San Felipe. That's, that's, that's going to be brutal for them. Yeah. For anybody, but especially for them. Yeah, exactly. Because they, you know, you could have, you know, I guess strategically, if that's the case, you could almost get, I'm going to call them a ringer, but not really a ringer, but get somebody literally right at the beginning of San Felipe. So, you know, they're fresh and, and, you know, you're good to go. Mm-hmm. You know, you just got to worry about the bike not being too, too hurt. Right. Um, but if it's an Ironman, there is no such thing. <laughs> So, exactly. <laughs> that's going to be an interesting one. So, I mean, I don't know. Is uh, are you thinking? Yeah, San Felipe is going to be the uh, the gnarliest section of the race, or is there something else? Uh, I think it probably will be. Yeah, I think San Felipe will be the good part. I think about it is by the time it gets to San Felipe, mm-hmm. the race could be kind of decided in a way because it's such a long race. You know, we've had times where, you know, we have an hour lead on second place. And so all we got to do is just maintain. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also had times where we're 20 minutes behind, you know, with a hundred miles ago and you got to like realistically right over your head to catch them. You know what I'm saying? So it just depends on what position you're in, but I'm thinking by San Felipe after a thousand miles of already in the, in the books, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the races are going to kind of be decided and it's just going to matter of just maintaining your lead or, maintaining your position. Um, but then again, I've had 1200 mile races that were decided in, you know, we were like two minutes apart at the finish. So you just never know with Baja, how it's all gonna, how it's all gonna, you know, end up. It's like in such a long race, it's like who, everyone's probably going to have an issue. It's pretty impossible to go that far without having something go wrong, whether it's a crash or whether it's a lighting issue, whether it's a bike issue or a fuel issue or whatever it may be. It's how you manage that issue Mm -hmm. is really the difference between winning and losing. Yeah. Yeah. It would be impossible to not have, or I mean, it would be possible, but definitely not going to be competitive. 
if, if well it's it's imp- yeah it's just improbable if you're you know if you're racing and you're pushing it there's a good chance that something is going to happen hopefully nothing does or if it does it's very minor mm-hmm. but yeah i mean that's just a lot of pounding for 30 plus hours yeah you know in the daylight in the dark in the dust and the sun you know it's just a lot so many different conditions you know you think people think oh well i'd rather do a day section but then certain parts of the day the sun is either in your eyes or it's got a lot of shadows so you can't see the rocks i mean that's what happened to me last year i hit a rock in a wash with the shadows at you know 70 miles an hour and that was it it was over yeah yeah, I remember seeing that. That was, uh, I think, the craziest thing I'd, I'd ever seen and never seen before was the forks still being collapsed after. Yep, that was something that I had never experienced or seen myself either. It's just, it's just it bottomed out so hard that the, I, I guess the forks bent instantly and didn't allow, um, didn't allow them to come back up. So it was just like stink bug style. Yeah, yeah, that, that is that's crazy. And I mean, it, that was a, a bit of recovery time for you too, no? Yeah. Yeah. I'm still not a hundred percent. I'm, uh, you know, working at it every day, but yeah, I had 18 broken bones, dislocated hip, dislocated shoulder, compound fractures and the whole deal. So it was, I was in the hospital for two months, pretty much. I only had my left leg was the only thing that I could actually use. Oh, wow. So yeah, I was kind of bedridden for a while, but a lot of physical therapy and a lot of help from family and friends and my girlfriend to help me get back. And I wasn't even sure or even thinking really about doing this race, but I figured if I can ride and I can ride competitively, then it'd be kind of cool to make a little bit of a comeback. So that's what we're doing. Yeah. That's what what you're after. And that, so that's something interesting. Like you're, I mean, it's interesting and it's absolutely huge, right? Come back from something like that with all the physical, you know, damage done, you know, checking all the boxes on possible injuries and, and then now getting back into, okay, now we're going to go race the biggest race that exists, you know, for the off-road world, um, you know, at least in the, the point to point, you know, I'll label it sprint type races because yeah, the Dakar is longer, but you get to stop every day, you know? Right. So there's that, but I mean, is there the ability to ride the bikes for a long distance and, and get in shape. Do you have like a routine? Uh, you know, what's most important to you? Do you do, do you favor cardio? Do you favor strength exercises? Um, well, normally I do a lot of motocross races, which Mm -hmm. are sprints, but Mm -hmm. they are definitely, I think, uh, they really help you get in shape, right? Cause you're sprinting and you're, maybe holding your breath and you're just pushing it really hard. That's when you're really pushing your body and getting your body, you know, in shape. But long rides are good as well. But normally when you're doing long rides, even if you do like a, you know, an eight hour fun ride from Takati to San Felipe or whatever, mm-hmm. you're not really pushing it, right? You're just riding and having fun and going. So you're, you don't really get as tired. So I personally use motocross um, and some Grand Prix, SRA GPs and stuff like that to, to get myself in shape. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just go out there and do three 20 minute motos and time my laps and try and beat my last lap and just keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And that's just how you can improve and get better. I think you can get on a motocross track is the best place to ride, to improve your, 
your skills, whether you're racing in desert or anything. It's just, it's just, you just shift so many times and stand and sit and jump and turn, you know, so many times on a motocross track, you're just really fine tuning your skills. So that's what I do. I, I ride a lot of moto lot and of yeah. And I've obviously been doing a lot of physical therapy. I lost a lot of strength, you know, cause you're just laying in bed. So you get atrophy everywhere. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I, I got, I'm six, three and I got down to 140 pounds um, which is just, you know, skin and bones. So yeah. I had to, you know, work out in the gym and physical therapy and just trying to build some of my strength back. And I think that's probably my weakest point right now is I don't have all my strength back. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's getting better every day. So yeah. yeah. Nice. Well, and that, I mean, with the sections, did you, what, what section are you writing? So I am riding from Loretto, which is race mile 350, mm-hmm. to San Ignacio to 525. So that's a 175-mile stint. Mm-hmm. And then, um, unfortunately, there's not really anywhere around this, but there's like a 60 or 70-mile road section going into San Felipe. Mm-hmm. And nobody wanted to do that on the team. So I said, oh, shit, I'll do it, even though it's 1 in the morning. So I got to... I think it's one in the morning. I got to get on the bike and ride the pavement. So I'm going to ride the pavement for an hour or whatever there speed zone. And then I get back on at the finish and I'll ride from Ojos to the finish. So that's, that's the main thing I want to do yeah. is after what happened last year, I just want to finish what I started. So I want to roll into the finish hopefully and, nice. and celebrate. Yeah. See, you guys should have told, uh, you guys should have picked the lightest rider for the road section. Uh, why is it? Uh, yeah, well, lighter rider means less weight on the moose means it won't heat up as much. Yeah, that's true, but it's a speed <laughs> zone. So it's yeah. like, you're just kind of like, yeah. you're just kind of cruising anyway. So yeah. it shouldn't be too bad. Yeah, no. Plus we're going to do, we're going to do a tire change. I think right after I get off the pavement there. So we should be good. Yeah. Nice. Well, that, that would have been right. <laughs> that, that's how yeah. I would have tried to justify that. All right. Which one of you is lightest? Yeah. Uh huh. Well, I'm probably one of the. I think probably yeah. still one of the lightest on the team, so I'll work out. Damn it. <laughs> nice, but I mean, it, it's crazy. But to think, you know, all of that strategy, you know, it's just little things. You know, the rider changes where they occur. Who's you know who's stronger as far as the riding ability for that section? What they feel most comfortable in? There's a lot of things, right, that go into into uh, this. Shoot. The logistics are in, insane, and I think it's been said many times that the hardest part of this race is getting to the starting line because there's so much planning, so much prep. I mean, it's just everything from, you know, Baja pits to your gear to your bike prep and setting the bike up and who's going to ride which sections and where are your pits and where are we going to do the tire chains? When are we going to take off the big lights and put on the small lights? You know, all these things have to be, you know, set up and gone over and over and over and over again, just so that everybody does their job. You know, Mm -hmm. one person makes a mistake and then could cost you 20 minutes. It could be the race, you know, miss a VCP or forget to exchange the spica, you know, the spica that you have to go from rider to rider to rider. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we've done that before. I mean, it's just, there's so much to think about. It's kind of a blur until you get on the bike. Once you're on the bike, then you kind of forget about all that and just try and, you know, ride, ride as best you can. Yeah. Yeah. That, that to me is a, 
one of those things that not a lot of people like car logistics is one you've got teams you got trucks you got all of this stuff which is kind of the same for the bikes but you know when you could say in a vehicle you're going to do like yeah well you know we got three drivers for the entire peninsula that's a different logistics than when you've got six riders for the entire peninsula peninsula and a couple of them are going to be rotating shifts you know the they'll do 50 miles here 70 miles there you know that kind of thing so that's an interesting and then you got your chase driver who's got to get you to your next section in time so you could you know park and Mm -hmm. get your gear back on and be ready to go when the bike shows up so yeah it's it's a it's a big relay race that's for sure yeah now that's some you know the i'm I'm really big into the mentality of of racing you know for especially on bikes and how that you know all these little mental things because i mean obviously like i'm used to a lot of the rally stuff with a dakar where they're just going long distances gear wise is that something you know you get off the bike it's boots come off you know basically back into street clothes or do you kind of try and stay in some gear. Uh, it, it just depends on the race. Normally, no. Normally, you stay in your gear because you have to get right back on, mm-hmm. um, you know, in an hour or something or however long, you know, it is to your next section. But in this race, since it's, you know, 30 plus hours of racing, yeah, I'm sure there'll be times when I will probably stay in my most of my gear, but just like, yeah, take my boots off, put some shoes on, obviously take your helmet and chest protector and all that stuff off, but just stay, so stay in your, you know, your pants and knee, knee guards and jersey and all that. But yeah, yeah. it's uh, the longer races, you know, you want to be as comfortable as possible. Plus, you know, it's hard to sleep, right? The race starts at 1am. I'm not starting the race. I'm not getting on, I don't think till 10am. So it's kind of like, but I still want to know how we're doing. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably be up, yeah. you know, on my phone or whatever, ch- checking that. So it's like, you're realistically, you're up for 30 plus hours, even though you're trying to take a little nap in here, which never works. Yeah, no. Um, and then starting it at 1am is insane because realistically on Wednesday, it's only like you can go to sleep at noon Mm-hmm. and actually sleep right it's daytime you're awake and so you're gonna you know that's the i think that's going to be one of the hardest things for the ironman is they have to start this race at 1 a.m so let's just say they get to go to bed and they actually fall asleep by 8 p.m which isn't going to happen but let's just say it does mm-hmm. they're gonna they're really gonna get three hours sleep and then they got to get ready and go to the line yeah that's so and then they got to race for 30, 40 hours, mm-hmm. 50 hours, whatever the Ironman is going to take to do. So that's, I think, not the best decision for score to do that to them. But at the same time, like you said, it turned into a trophy truck uh, race and they're catering to them because mm-hmm. they are starting at what, 9, mm-hmm. 10 a.m. And they're making the bike start at 1 a.m. because they don't want the trophy trucks to catch a lot of the the bikes, which they're going to do anyways in this race. I don't even understand. It doesn't make much sense to start them at 1am. I mean, I don't know. You think about it. And at that point, it's like every hour, every hour counts. And that, that was something previously that we had talked about on the show that bikes have continued to be bikes, right? The, I, I don't know, put a number on it, right? 65 horsepower, 18 inch rear tire, 12 inches of wheel travel. Meanwhile, trucks are now, 39 or 40 inch tires. I don't even know what they're up to thousand horsepower. Don't even show mm-hmm. up if it's not all wheel drive, you know, all of these things that are just pushed to raise the average speed, you know, 
what does the bike have an advantage in, you know, in the, maybe in the washes, it's a little bit easier mm, to get in and out. I don't know. If, I, I think it's yeah. probably the more technical sections, like going when they go over the summit, you know, all the little rocky stuff, really tight, mm-hmm. tight stuff. I think the bikes probably have an advantage over the trucks, but you know, yeah, like you- pole line, pole line road or something, you know, bikes probably at the most going to be, the top guys are might be going 45 maybe through those deep whoops mm-hmm. rocky whoops and the trophy trucks are just pinned at 100 plus so yeah you know you can't you really can't compete with those trucks anymore because they're so far advanced mm-hmm. but uh and they're gonna catch the bikes and everybody gets kind of freaked out because oh shoot a trophy truck's gonna catch me but it's not as bad as what everybody thinks as long as you're aware especially at night you could see a trophy truck coming for uh, a geez, very long they light, way they light up the whole valley or wherever you're at so you have plenty of time to get off the course get out of the way mm-hmm. and then re-enter the course you know once the dust clears so um it's not as bad as what everybody thinks i think the, tr- the trucks are aware of the bikes mm-hmm. and i think i mean if you're if you're going to be stupid and you're not going to get out of the way you know, I've seen trophy trucks get kind of aggressive with them, but at the same time, if you're aware, just get off the course as soon as you can and let them go. Yeah. Yeah. Get off the course. And then I think, I feel like too, also those guys, it's like I, I, what I remember from the car, the car days. And, and I remember racing a class 10 at that time, you don't want to waste time either. So why come up? Like if you see that you could take a whole nother line that you could get off and, 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 or bushwhack or whatever it is, why even waste time getting up behind that person, whatever it is, even if it is a bike, you know, right. I, I guess the only thing you got to watch out on the bikes is, is yeah, they might, they may see that line too, and they can change direction fairly fast. But right. You know, I feel like you're, like you're saying, I say, I feel like the truck drivers or the vehicle drivers kind of have that balance of like, I, why am I going to, I know this is a bike guy. Why am I going to come up on him when I could literally just pick this other line? And I guess, and I agree with what you're saying. It's, it's probably a hundred times safer at night just simply because mm-hmm. of the amount of light that these things got to run. Right. So that, yeah. So what the thing is though, is there's a lot of sections, um, that there are no other lines, mm-hmm. you know, you could be in a, just a two track section for a hundred miles. Yeah. So, uh, you know, sometimes there is no alternative mm-hmm. and, you know, they have the big horns and everything. If you don't know, if it is daytime and you don't know they're behind you, mm-hmm. then, you know, they'll honk. And next thing you know, you look back there, they are, you just get off the course as soon as you can and let them go. It's, it's, they're not going to run you over. They don't want to run you over. They don't want to ruin their race and they don't want to kill anybody. And it's just like a lot of people are like panicky about the trophy trucks catching them, but you know, normally they don't catch us. Yeah. But in a race this long, they're going to catch us. No, they're yeah, they're, catch. They're, 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 they're definitely going to catch us. I don't know when they're going to catch us, but I would say if I had to guess, I would say maybe um, San Felipe, I'd say maybe with like 300 miles to go, they'll probably catch us. I'm, it's just a yeah. guesstimate, but, but yeah, normally if we have a clean race, like at a 500 or something that we don't even see the trophy truck. So yeah. that's a good thing. Yeah. And, and you think about it on the front end too, right? That would mean, you know, if you were a little bit, that could be the difference of maybe starting it a couple hours later, you know, yeah, still at night and it's kind of close to, to 9am start time for the trucks, but those two hours additional of sleep or whatever, maybe that, that can make a difference. And I could, 
you know, I don't know. The yeah, fr- I, I mean, I, I personally think that they should start the bikes in the morning at like 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. And then you get a night's sleep and you start and then don't start the trucks until until 8 p.m. or something. Have them have a night start or something. You know, it's not it doesn't affect the trucks as much as it affects the bikes, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, very rarely you got a guy that's going to Ironman the whole the whole race on in a truck or a side by side. I don't think, I don't know if anybody's even doing it. So, um, I, I, you know, I've sent in my suggestions and that kind of falls on deaf ears only because, uh, you know, they, that's people want to see the trophy trucks and that's great. I mean, I like watching them too, but they shouldn't sacrifice the other teams because of it. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, that's, that, that's where the money is. And I, another thing that I've always suggested is I think we could get a lot more bikes down here if it wasn't so expensive to enter, you know, um, it's $4,750 just to enter this race for a bike. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like 5,500 for a trophy truck. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy's got a, what, $800,000 race truck. Mm-hmm. It probably costs him 150,000 just in fuel and logistics and team or probably more. I'm, I mean, I don't even know. I'm guessing mm-hmm. to get down there and race the race. I'm thinking if they just raise the trophy truck class entry fee by two or $3,000, they wouldn't even notice. Mm-hmm. And then you can lower the bike classes by $2,000. So now it's a t- maybe 2,500 to race the thousand for a bike and 7,500 for a trophy truck. You know, it just makes more sense. Mm -hmm. And we would get a lot more bikes because of the cost. It's expensive. It's not, you know, we have a lot of good sponsors that help us. Otherwise, you know, this would probably, it wouldn't be affordable, you know, even, even with a a team of six guys, you know, it's just like, there's so much to it. You know, you gotta have the bike, you gotta have tires, you gotta have boosters, you gotta have navigation, you gotta have gear, you gotta have fuel. You got, I mean, not to mention, each individual rider having to pre-run their sections and have hotel rooms and fuel. And it's just, it's not cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think if they could lower the bike costs, it would definitely help the entries. Mm-hmm. And with volume, you make just as much money. I don't, you know, it's just, it's just, they're, they're just not, I just don't think that they're, they're uh, putting their attention there, which they should. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that's an interesting point. You know, I, I hadn't, you know, I was thinking like, okay, I, I'm in agreement with you that it's, you know, you could, you could tighten the gap between the trucks and the bikes a little bit um, because the trucks don't want to, they don't want to have a bad day and it's a bad day if you get into involved with a bike, you know, mm-hmm. so they don't want to have a bad day. So they're going to watch out for that. But maybe for them, you know, maybe the argument on their side is, is like, well, yeah, you know, we get stuck behind bikes and then the guy behind me, shows up and I lose my work and you know, maybe that's their complaint, right? Is that they're being held up quote unquote. Right. And, and it's like, okay, well, yeah, you know, I understand that for, for, well, for one, it makes the racing a little more exciting for everybody watching, you know, it's like DRS and formula one. Once the running order was done before they did that, nobody would pass your, your Mm -hmm. qualifying was basically your finishing order. And so now, so this is kind of the same, you know, maybe the same thing. Um, Obviously we want drivers with, cool heads that don't get frustrated and and then try and pull stupid maneuvers 
So I agree. Maybe, you know, I wonder how many more eyeballs they would get if there would be even a difference, positive or negative, by starting um, high noon. Oh, it's a high noon, mm-hmm. show, high noon showdown, you know, for the trophy right. truck class. And, but that gives the bikes daylight. Because that's the other thing, too. Nobody's watching after you guys for booby traps and things like that that, that can occur, you know, right. in, in some of these races. And uh, helicopters, helos, I don't know, the, the people playing the home game, I don't know, but they don't, may not be aware. Helos can't fly at night down in Mexico. Exactly. Yeah. And, the, and the, I mean, the, the race starts at 1 a.m. The first, what, five, six hours of the race are in, in dark. In dark. So, yeah. And, yeah. And I will say, though, I mean, from what I remember, there's a difference in spectators between Baja Norte and, and Baja Sur, or I should say Baja California and, and Baja California Sur. There is a difference in the spectators and, and how they treat racers and, and, and what you see. I mean, that was my experience from years back. I don't know if it's changed. Um, um, you know what? I have, I personally, the further south I go, the, the better I like it. But I, I have to say, I have as far as the spectators are concerned, they are almost part of the race. They love to be involved Mm -hmm. and they are there to help you in a second. I mean, I've, I've had a, a front moose and a front tire come off the front wheel at like 60 miles an hour, maybe 30 miles into La Paz once Mm -hmm. it almost shook me off the bike. I finally get it and I nurse it to the next, the nearest people that I could see. I never got off the bike. They literally got some tire irons or screwdrivers and put the bead back on the tire and the zip tie. I had these big fat zip ties. We zip tied, you know, the tire back onto the rim so I can make it to the finish. But it's like, they love to be helpful. They're super helpful. They love to, to, to be part of it. They feel like they're part of the race. I mean, it'd be like going to the Indianapolis 500 and being able to change Mario Andretti's tire. You know what I'm trying to say? It's like, it's a, it's a very uh, unique event to be able to get that close to the, to the race and be actually a part of the pit crew. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that, that's a good, you know, it's a good story because I think that that, you know, we've seen it. I mean, we've seen the videos, you know, you go onto YouTube and you can see, you can see people building booby traps and you can see that, but <clears throat> there is a difference. Yeah. In, in, in the spectators, not everybody is that person. Of course, like any good media outlet, people want to show the, <laughs> the worst of it, but there's, yeah, I'm sure. yeah, they want to get ratings for sure. Yeah. But, but from my experience yeah. and I've been doing this pretty much every year since 2012, 11, 12, somewhere in there. Um, most, I would say 90% of what people call a booby track mm-hmm. trap is not a booby trap. It's, it's spectators trying to build a jump so they could see some action mm-hmm. and they just don't know how to do it. So it turns into like, um, you know, a, a two foot curb pretty much, or a little mound that they think they're making a jump. But mm-hmm. when you're going say 45, 50 miles an hour down this road and all of a sudden you hit a two foot, what they think is a jump, it just throws you over the bars. Right. So people are calling these booby traps. Um, but I have only one time have I ever actually ran into a real booby trap and it was like, uh, uh, some wire strung across between two telephone poles. Ooh, shit. Yeah. And, uh, luckily I saw it the very last minute and just laid it down, but, and you know, yeah, but, but you know, and I've heard they've, bur- they buried 
telephone poles and different things like that. But I think even then they're trying to build a jump and they just don't know how to do it and they don't have the equipment to do it. They're using a shovel and whatever else they have. They want to see somebody jump. So, you know, I don't think it's most of it isn't really with uh, bad intentions. They just want to see some action. And the rule in Baja on a bike is if you see a crowd, especially in the middle of nowhere, Mm-hmm. slow down because yeah. there's something going on there, right? They're either built a, tried to build a jump or there's a dangerous section and that's why they're there mm-hmm. to see it. Same thing with water crossing. So you'll go to a water crossing. There'll be a bunch of people cause they want, you know, it's kind of an action place or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they'll all point like go over there go over there. Well, they're always pointing to the deepest spot <laughs> because they want to, they want to see, either a big splash or they want to see you crash or lay it over or whatever. And then they'll help you and pick you up and, you know, and, and keep you going. But they want to, they want to be part of the action. They want to see the action. So I learned early on that whenever I see, whenever I go to like a water crossing or river crossing or whatever, and they're pointing, mm-hmm. I head straight for them. Yeah. And okay. then they dive out of the way. Cause they're on pretty, you know, shallow water or dry land. Mm-hmm. So I just normally, I'll just head straight for them. They'll get out of the way. And then, it's a safe, you know, the safest way to do it. But it's, it's a lot of people bet. when they first, yeah, when they first start, they're like thinking, oh, they're helping me. Okay. I'm going to go where they're pointing. And the next thing you know, you're, you got water over your handlebars, you know? So it's interesting. You learn a lot and you don't even realize how much you learn until you start talking about it, but you learn a lot just racing so many times in Baja. Yeah. All the little, you know, all the little stories I've been uh, with you saying that it's true. I've been pointed uh, in San Felipe at one of the local races, um, I've been pointed it down another line. And then only like when I go past it, I'm thinking, okay, well maybe it was smoother than where I was at. And I look over and it's this makeshift double jump. And I go, there is no way I'm going to hit this in a 1600 car. You know, this is, that's <laughs> exactly. not, no, that's not a, <laughs> that's not possible. So you think about it like, yeah. And I come from that is like, okay, well they're trying to, you know, they don't know how to build it. And, but they're trying to see some action. And, and mm-hmm. I remember my dad always saying the same thing. You go, you got hundreds of miles of desert, thousands of miles of desert. Why are they there? Exactly. <laughs> now, if you're close to town, I get it. Cause people kind of like, you know, they'll just try and get in whatever a mile or whatever, half a mile to see, see the cars go by or bikes go by or quads go by or whatever. But when you're literally, you know, you can't see any houses or lights around and and there's like, a group of people there mm-hmm. camping or whatever, there's a good chance that they built something up so that they can, you know, see some action. So it's always a good, good idea to, to slow down for sure. Yeah. Chill out a little bit. Yep. Nice. I mean, what are you going to lose a couple of seconds and make that up and, you know, yeah. The next couple of miles. So. Yeah, exactly. You check up or, you know, it's going to be a two or three minute ordeal while you dust yourself off and take inventory. Right. And if you, if you can get up, yeah, you know, the last time I crashed, I couldn't get up. I was laid out for shoot. It took me. What's going on guys. Victor with the chasing waypoints podcast. All right. Are you looking to promote your brand to a worldwide audience on the podcast? Drop us a line at podcast at chasing waypoints.com. And let's talk, see what we can do about getting you some more ears for your company and getting the word out worldwide. I think six hours before I made it to the hospital to get out of the desert. Wow. Yeah. To get out of the desert. And that was like with no pain meds or anything. It was, it was a, an experience for sure. Cause it was just before dark and the helicopter couldn't fly. So he, he could only fly me five minutes away to San Felipe. And then from then on it was 
ambulances all the way to, yeah. to San Diego. So, and that is a long ride from San Felipe. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yep. But I mean, you know, it, it obviously, you know, you're, you're here. We worked out. It's an experience, you know, and that's uh, and I think, wait, I think I said, did it, you were just down there pre-running. Did you, was it you that spotted another rock in the. Actually, that was uh, my teammate, Robbie Naughton. Okay. Um, it was his section. So I just kind of went down there and pre-ran with him, but I wasn't pre-running that last little section with him. Mm-hmm. And he actually hit that rock Ooh. in the shades and went over the bars pretty good. Yeah. He didn't get hurt, but he did get some cactus in him. And, oh. you know, he probably flew 40, 50 feet and it was a wake up call for him for sure. Yeah. And, uh, it looked a lot like the one I hit, but mine was just taller and probably a bit bigger. And I was going, race speed rather than pre-run speed. So mm. it was just a, that's the difference pretty much, you know, now is just speed in Baja. It's just, you're going so fast. Yeah. Mock, you know, and I mean, but that's what you got to do too. Part of it is, yeah, it's easier to ride a bike at speed than it is. There's, there's a balancing point in there, you know, obviously for the terrain or whatever, like you don't want to go hitting everything. You kind of want to skip over the top of something. So yeah, you kind of need, the I speed. always, I always prefer the more technical sports parts of all like the summit i love doing the summit i like doing the over mics you know the more rocky rough technical sections because uh number one i think i excel in it and number two it's not i don't think it's as dangerous you got you probably have a bigger chance of crashing Mm -hmm. but you're only averaging maybe 35 40 miles an hour through there yeah whereas the washes you know, they're, they, they look super easy and they are easy and you're going 70, mm-hmm. 80 miles an hour and it's not rough, but there's buried rocks. And when you hit one, I mean, I've hit a lot of them. This was the only one this last year that actually, I actually crashed on most of them you hit and you just like ride a nose, boom, and you ride like a nose wheelie for however long and save it and go, Oh shit, your life <laughs> flashes before your eyes. But, yeah. but, uh, I prefer the slower, more technical sections, downhills, uphills, rocks, summits, you know, that kind of stuff, because, uh, it's just, I think you can make up more time in those sections. Anybody can go fast on a wash Mm -hmm. and it's a lot harder to go fast down rocky downhills and, uh, rutted out sections and things like that. So I always prefer the more technical spots, but there are other guys on our team that, grew up racing desert and they love the fast section. So it's a, it's, it works out perfect. Yeah. That, that balance you know, mm-hmm. within the team and that, and, and that's, you know, we kind of mentioned that earlier. It's finding the, okay, what's your strong suit, you know, cause that's at the end of the day, you're trying to string together the fastest time possible. So yeah, if somebody's more confident in this type stuff versus that type stuff, that's going to make for a better elapsed time. Right. And mm-hmm. some people prefer, to ride during the daytime. They don't like to ride at night and other guys don't mind riding at night. So that all goes into play too, because, uh, Jim O'Neill's on our team. Mm -hmm. He's, he's a, he's a legend in Baja. He's ridden so many races. I mean, he's in his seventies, but he's still, we still go to the motocross tracks together and he still rides. He's, he's still a great rider. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he's, doing a section. And the only thing that he asked for was, I do not want to ride at night because, you know, he's 70, I think 76 years old. Obviously he probably can't see like a 40 year old or even, you know, 50 year old. And so he likes to ride during the day. He had a, I guess a bad crash, uh, one time at at night and 
actually he said he had a booby trap and yeah, he got hauled out of there. And so he preferred to, you know, to ride during the day, which is fine. He's going to get on it. I think seven thirty in the morning daytime, but, um, everybody has their preferences, right? Some people want to ride early in the race. Some people want to ride late in the race. Some people want to ride the technical stuff. Some people want to ride the fast stuff. Some people want to ride, you know, it's just, it's just, uh, it makes it, uh, interesting because I try and mix it up and I, and I try and like to ride a section that I've never ridden, Mm -hmm. but at this point I've been doing it for 10 years. And so I don't think there is a section I haven't written, but, uh, so I always tend to just pick the spots where I think I'll excel. Yeah, I think that's a, you know, it's, uh, that's how I feel like it, it should be done. You know, pick the spot you excel at and, and that's where you're going to put together for the team. You know, I'm going to put together the best possible elapsed time from here to here for you guys. And that's the kind of expectation from the other guys. You know, this is my, you know, this is my terrain. This is my type of racing that I like to do. So mm-hmm. that, uh, yeah, this is going to be a, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting 1300 miles and especially I'm, I'm really looking to see what the effect of the first, you know, three quarters of the race being flat out, you know, and not not rough, not, you know, not super bad. Yeah, right. There are some rough there are some rough sections. There's a section probably at race mile. I want to say. 180, maybe mm-hmm. that is like sand whoops for as far as you can see it's no it's 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 narrow Mm -hmm. and zoo road is more rocky whoops this is just sand sand Mm -hmm. deep sand whoops and it's just narrow enough for probably a trophy truck but it's in bushes on both sides so you can't get out of it and take alternate lines or anything and you literally for as far as you can see is whoops and then you make this turn Mm -hmm. like a 180 uh 90 turn. Mm -hmm. You're thinking, thank God it's over. <laughs> and it's whoops for as far as you can see again. So it's, it's probably a, I would probably a, I would say a 15, 20 mile section of just deep sand whoops. And that's before the 200 mile mark. So there's that, there's the whole going into Laredo area mm-hmm. that is like super like rocky. And there's probably 15 river crossings and, um, so it's, there's, there's a, I mean, it's not just the Northern part that's going to take its toll. It's, it's, there's a lot of, a lot of sections that are pretty gnarly down South, but then again, there's a lot of sections that aren't, they're easier, you know, mm-hmm. fire roads and a lot of easier to track and different things like that. So it's, it's definitely going to be interesting. Um, but I think that if, if anything, like you said, the, the last, 400 miles is probably going to be where you're going to see most of your DNFs because they've already got all those miles in and then it gets even rougher. And that's when cars are breaking and people are crashing. And for the Ironman, I mean, there's 20, I think 27 Ironmen in the uh, signed up. And I honestly, I got to say, I, I don't, I'd be surprised if five of them finish on time because it's just, too many hours and too gnarly and just mentally almost more than physically is this going to be a test so it's going to that's going to be a very interesting class to to watch, to watch. Yeah, I, I, yeah i agree i saw the uh i saw the post from uh andy kirker in the uh in the facebook group and you know interesting enough you know setting 
yeah, you set the pace, but if you stop and take a 10 minute break, you just knocked, you know, so much off of your average time or your average speed, which puts you on the, in, on the bubble of not making the finish line. Exactly. Within time. Now, physically crossing the finish line is one thing, but physically crossing the finish line within the allotted time is the other. Right. And I think it's, is it 50 hours? Yeah. In a lot of time, I think it's 50 hours. So that's a 25 mile an hour average, I think is what, what he said, mm-hmm. which is, is, is definitely doable. But, uh, I think more of a, it's more of a mental challenge than anything else. It's just, you get to a point where you're riding through the whole night, wake, you know, sunrise through that whole day, sunset through that whole night. I mean, your mind's just got to be going, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. not to mention physical, you know, the physical pain and everything else you're going through. So it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, it's, it's, I've, I've, I've thrown it around every, you know, I want to do that someday, but I haven't pulled the trigger on that one yet. That that's, that's, uh, that's going to be a, a adventure for sure. Uh, yeah. And especially on, you know, especially on something like this, I'm uh, looking for that, uh, looking for that post, but so we kind of in 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 wrapping this up. What is if you could plan? You know, you're going to run the whole peninsula. And actually, I'll open it up to any race. If tomorrow, if you had the chance, you know, money, no object, no, you know, bike, fresh bike, factory bike, however you want it. What's the what's the race or what's the section you would want to do? Um, I would say if I are you talking about Ironman anywhere, in class, oh. whatever the the dream. You know, well, I mean, after this point, I've kind of been doing what I wanted to do. We've had good sponsors and everything else behind us. So we were able to do it. But, um, you know, I've I've thought about pretty seriously about maybe getting into a side by side or doing this or doing that. But you know what? I just can't. I'm a, I'm a bike guy. Mm-hmm. And when you're a bike guy, you're just always a bike guy. And I, I don't see myself really doing that unless someone invited me to do it and I said, Oh, oh, you know, I don't have anything else going on, but to actually put the effort to do it, I don't think that'll ever happen. So as far as an Ironman, I would only Ironman, I think the thousand peninsula run, because if you're going to do it, you might as well do it. Right. I wouldn't just say, Oh, I'm going to Ironman the 500. I'm, if I'm going to do the thousand, I'm not going to do the loop. I'm going to do the whole peninsula run because that's just me. But, um, I'm getting to the point, especially after my accident last year that, you know, my Baja races are pretty numbered. Mm-hmm. Um, and my goal for next season actually is to bring the sponsors that we already have with our team. Cause mm-hmm. we have a lot of, a lot of good sponsors behind us, mm-hmm. um, and some new sponsors and thinking about getting some fresh young guys and going after the, the one X plate next season. So, um, we, you know, we have the infrastructure, we know Baja, we have good sponsors. We've got chase, we've got, you know, everything we need except for maybe some more, uh, deeper pockets as far as the sponsors are concerned, which I think we can get if we get some talent, you know, young guys Mm -hmm. and, uh, it'd be cool to go after, uh, you know, yeah. The one X plate. I that think plate. that would be the next thing is kind of give back a little bit and, and, uh, yeah. help out some younger writers. Yeah. And I think that that aligns with the, you know, what you mentioned earlier about, you know, one of the ways to help grow the sport, 
you know, get, get younger talent involved, younger people involved that, you know, that have the writing ability, but maybe not the, the logistics, the facilitation right. of logistics and, and, and sponsors and things like that. You know, that's, that's, uh-huh. a good, you know, I think that's a, I think that's a really good goal. I, that'd be awesome yeah. to see that, you know, give those boys yeah. to some, <laughs> give the guys up top now more run, more competition. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's getting better and better, especially with that purse, you know, that Andy got together, which was really cool. Um, I think it's going to bring a, a little bit more speed to the series and, um, competition, you know, grows competition. So hopefully, uh, hopefully I can, or the team, our hero racing team, you know, can get some good guys, um, and we can get the backing the sponsors and put together a team next season and hopefully be in San Felipe to start, yeah. start for the championship. That would be exciting. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. That would be, that would be an awesome goal, especially, you know, challenging for the, the one X plate. I think that the more competition that plate has, the better. Right. So I think it'll definitely be, uh, you mentioned sponsors. Let's, uh, let's wrap up and, uh, tell me a little bit about the guys that are backing you guys for the, uh, for the thousand. Yeah. Yeah, well, most of our sponsors have actually uh, been with us since the beginning, which is really cool. Um, so, you know, Vase Power Sports, they're a motorcycle shop in El Cajon. Mm-hmm. They definitely help us out with parts and and uh, some money to help us get to the races. Baja Pits, you know, um, Carlos over there, he always helps us out for usually like every other race. So he'll, he'll give us free pits, which really helps. Mm-hmm. Um, Dunlop tires, Brock Glover over there at Dunlop has always helped us. Um, so they give us tires, nitro moose. They help us Baja bound insurance. You know, they're, they're really big in, in the score series and they, they, they always help us out. Um, shoot suspension one Oh one. Uh, they d- done our suspension probably for the last seven or eight years. They really help us help us test and get that stuff dialed in. Um, O'Neill gear, you know, with Jim O'Neill on our team, mm-hmm. um, you know, he he decks us out head to toe in our gear. Um, yeah, we got we got a lot of a lot of good a lot of good sponsors that, uh, and we got some new ones this year, which is pretty cool. Um, Redline Oil, actually, they they've been with us for the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, they are one of our main sponsors and then white cloud aviation. They're out of Lake Havasu. Mm -hmm. Um, they basically teach people how to fly airplanes, you know, get you to solo and all that. So they're on. And then uh, lifestyle lifestyle garage, Tony, um, in Lakeside, California, he does a lot of Jeep, Jeep stuff or trucks. You want to lift your truck, wheels, tires, whatever like that. So yeah, we got a lot of, a lot of, a lot of sponsors and a lot of, uh, backing and you know what the nice part about it is is it's not like one and done you know we do a really good job at promoting them as well you know we have t-shirts and posters and you know we display the bike after the race at bays and leave it dirty like it just finished the race and it, nice. you know it's kind of cool yeah nice yeah that i mean you know it adds that i always i always enjoyed seeing that i remember going to one of the uh the baja bound holiday parties and they had uh i think it was was it samuel's bike there they had one of the one of the bikes there all dirty and yeah. you know just as it finished and you uh-huh. see that and it's like dude that's that's rad you know you get to see all the yeah. little things that 
maybe broke or or you know the 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 fixes the 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 hot fixes <laughs> this yeah, will get us there headlights <laughs> headlights pointing all to the left broken and yeah yeah <laughs> missing yeah, hand guards <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty cool to see them at the finish line a lot of people don't get to see that right because they're usually not at the finish or whatever they might see them go by you know mid-race or something but they don't actually get to just stop and look at the bike after it's done battle yeah exactly yeah all the what the attrition is on the bike you know and how much of it has to be torn down to get it back but you, you know you see them at the start line and they look like brand new bikes you know that's uh yeah yeah uh, it's pretty crazy so well, are you going to the race uh, I don't know. I got to try and uh, cut out. I'm off on Fridays, Fridays and Saturdays from the normal nine to five. So uh-huh. that's, uh, that's going to be tricky. I don't know if uh, I might be able to shoot down to Ensenada and see you guys uh, come in. I think that, I think that's probably the more feasible plan. Right. Well, uh, it'd be nice. That's to, a good place to be. Yeah. It, to finish. Yeah. Yeah. Get to see everybody, you know, the people coming across and uh, I mean, it'd be nice to take the time off and, and get all the way down to La Paz and then kind of follow the race up. But uh, yeah, lo- logistically with time, it's a little bit difficult uh, right. on that one, but, but I'll for sure be watching tracking. Right. <laughs> I want to see how you yeah. guys are doing. Appreciate that. Uh, be awesome. Well, excellent. Well, uh, any, any final thoughts, any other shout outs, anything you want to, uh, I don't know. I just honestly kind of feel blessed to even be able to do this again after last year. So yeah, just want to thank God for, for letting me enjoy what I like to do. Yeah. The opportunity and, uh, and then when you can line up for the, uh, this this iconic one i mean yeah like we said it's uh it's interesting that they're running it backwards and it's 1300 miles and uh sounds like you guys got a good team together the bike is badass i'm i'm, I'm looking at the pictures going i could see that in a garage <laughs> yeah well it's gonna look even better going through contingency because it still doesn't have you know our graphics and all the cool stuff thrill seekers they're a san diego company they always sponsor us with a really cool seat cover and nice. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like a, just a, a, you know, it seems like, which is really cool. It seems like a lot of our sponsors are just friends. So it's kind of like, not just somebody you don't know, it's somebody that you grew up with or, or, you know, live next to or whatever. So that always makes it more fun, especially at the finish line when, you know, some of your sponsors are even there helping you celebrate. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, I get that it, it eliminates that corporate feel to it and it, Uh and it's not just all business. You know, I think right. that's, that's awesome. Awesome. Well, excellent, sir. Well, I will let you get back to your Saturday. All right. Well, appreciate thanks it. for having me on. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And, uh, and yeah, I'll give you, uh, I'll send you the links and, uh, for when this is uh, live, I think it may actually go up tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So I'll, uh, I'll send those over to you. All right. Thank awesome, you. Johnny. Thank oh, you. One more thing. Oh yeah. One, one more thing before I go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to, uh, mention, um, my teammates, you know, this is, this is a, you know, obviously a, a team effort, right? So yeah. I just want to mention my, my teammates, um, you know, John Griffin, he's been with us for a long time with the team. Mm-hmm. He builds the bikes. Um, so he spends countless hours, you know, in his garage, you know, just meticulously going through our bike, making sure that, you know, best of his ability to, we don't have any bike issues, you know? So a shout out to John for sure. Um, Jim O'Neill, I already mentioned him, but, mm-hmm. uh, he's definitely a, a legend in the sport. Uh, Troy Pierce, he has been racing with us for probably, mm, I don't know, maybe the last six or seven years. He was a number one plate holder in district 38, mm-hmm. um, for a while out there in plaster city. Nice. Um, 
couple of my motocross buddies that uh, one of my grown up with, uh, Mike Carter, he's racing with us. He's done a few races with us, but, uh, Alan Julian, he's from South Africa, but he lives in California now for the past probably 20 years. But those are my motocross buddies. We do Glen Helen, you know, Saturday motocross all the time. So they're on the team. And then, uh, Robbie Naughton, he's, uh, he used to race supercross back in the day and he was a pro two, I think uh, short course champion mm-hmm. um, competing against like uh, Brian Deegan and, and uh, McGrath and those guys. And he won the championship. So he's got a lot of experience and he's uh, he's on the team this year. So nice. I'm hoping he can make up some of the, some of the ground that I may lose being, being at 75 percent but he's an he's a really good writer so we got a we got a solid team and we're hoping that i mean our main goal is to finish but uh you know you know how racers are we want to win yeah so that's that's the goal yeah absolutely yeah i I was talking to a friend the other day about this and uh we're trying to do kind of like a fun ride and i told him go you understand you can't put three guys on bikes and not expect one of them to not want to be the first one back Exactly. Yeah. What, what's that? I saw, I think I saw a meme that said, uh, the first race started when the second motorcycle was built. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> right. <And> very true. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Awesome. Well, yeah, well, I'm looking forward to keeping you guys, uh, on tracking and, uh, and see how you guys are doing. All right. Best of luck. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. All right. Talk to you later. See ya. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. So that was Giovanni Spinali talking about the Baja 1000 coming up. So very interesting. I, you know, a lot of things to go into consideration. Some of the stuff, you know, until you talk to the racers and, and what they're actually going to be doing, uh, it, it really starts to develop, you know, a picture of what it takes to be able to race these events. And so, uh, while we were talking, I was able to find it in the, uh, pro pro moto Baja racing group. Uh, this was a post by Andy Kirker. And I'm going to read it verbatim here. So you guys know it's the Ironman class, something to consider, If you are trying to make it to the Baja 1000 finish in Ensenada before the cutoff time, so the organization gives the racers a certain amount of time to complete the entire course, continues, uh, before the cutoff time, then you will need to maintain a average speed of around 20, or you would need to maintain a speed of around 27 miles per hour minimum. You will need to plan your rest breaks strategically. For instance, if you are riding at a consistent 30 mile an hour average for 50 miles, and then take a 10-minute break at a pit stop, your average for that 50 miles just dropped to 27.32. So you just lost three miles an hour roughly at uh, on that 10-minute break. So for reference, 2001, Baja 1000, second place, Ironman, uh, average 30 miles an hour for the race. So that is going to be an interesting one. It's all about being accountable for your time. And that was something that Giovanni was mentioning is, you know, these guys having to do this peninsula then that long one, as we talked about, not only that, but you know, the terrain that they're going to have to face and then the break that they're going to catch by it being slow first, but then having San Felipe to finish it up and help welcome them, welcome them back to the Northern part of the peninsula. Uh, so that's going to be a very interesting thing, uh, especially if, the teams have already pre-ran it. And if by then they're already being caught by the vehicles, how the vehicles will tear that up. And not only that, but now you're talking about in the next few weeks or the next few days, 
more pre-running traffic going through that San Felipe section because it's the easiest, easy reach for the people that are going to be running the northern section. You may get to see more laps, more traffic through there than before. So it is absolutely going to be a challenging race for all of the participants uh, on the bikes. Uh, not to say that it won't be for the vehicles, but the bikes in particular, obviously they are not you know protected as much as a four-wheel drive vehicle is or a four-wheel vehicle. Exposed to more of the elements and obviously that 21-inch front tire can only do so much so we're looking forward to it we're going to be keeping track of that remember that is green flag on thursday november 16th so that is coming up in just a couple of weeks they'll be off in the morning first thing 1 a.m with a midnight at uh, what is that midnight wednesday thursday uh for their staging time so we're looking forward to seeing it i think it's going to be a great race again 1300 miles uh to make it all the way back up the peninsula these guys are racing home for uh one of the first times ever so anyway With that being said, guys, we're moving on to our next episode, next recording for today. You guys will be listening to this on Sunday at 10 a.m. And remember, it'll make sense when you get there. Enjoy the ride. All right, that is a wrap for the Chasing Waypoints podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Looking forward to our next one coming up. Remember, if you are out riding, do not forget to tag us at Chasing Waypoints. Hashtag Chasing Waypoints. And if you haven't already, get on over to the website. Get signed up for the newsletter, The Bivouac. North America's Rally Raid and Adventure Riding newsletter. Hey, let's have some fun. Let's find out what you guys up to. Let's get you featured. If you're a brand and looking to get supported, get some eyeballs, get some ears on your business. Absolutely. Hit us up. Send us a message at podcast at chasing waypoints. But anyway, that is a wrap. Remember, shiny side up. See you guys.